0: Another episode of Animation Celery. Crunchy
1: conversations about classic cartoons. He makes men into
0: boys, makes giants into men. He'll have you feeling guilty before you can count to ten. Oh, Matsy! And I'm Micah. So, the deal with Animation Celery
1: is that Matsy and I give each other cartoons to watch. Then we get together the following week to review and discuss them. This time, we've adopted the theme. Of being an adult. So Matsy looked at the first episode of Rilakuma and Kauru, and I have the dubious honor of talking about <laughs> Police Academy the series, episode 9 Cops and a Baby. First of all, though, we're gonna chat about stuff, starting off with a discussion we promised about what's Oper Doc and its possible greatness.
0: Yeah. Um I did a little bit of research into this. There was a book that came out in 1994. Uh, it was the 50 best. I can't remember the exact title. It's basically the 50 best animations as chosen by over a thousand animators. Oh, okay. And What's Opera Doc is number one on that list. Um, okay. Yeah. Our friend, our friend Edian also said that there was some podcast or YouTube channel or something that called it the best ever. Yeah. So it's I, not, I it's not an uncommon opinion. Oh, no. Yeah, I think it's Leonard Maltin's as well. Yeah. I'm pretty sure my friend, um, uh, now known as Natalie, uh, yeah. uh, I, th- I, I have a vague memory of her also saying that it was the best ever, hmm. in her opinion. But that like I'm not 100% sure of that, but yes. I think that's the way it went down. Well, so much. A common so, opinion.
1: Yeah, so much so
0: the the place that I'm
1: most used to seeing it. Is on programs that celebrate the best cartoons, where they'll have a movie, <laughs> they'll have a movie critic talk about it, right? And then they'll show it. Oh, yeah. So I almost never mm. see it without the weight of uh, a movie critic talking about it.
0: Hmm. Hmm. Mm. Um. I watched it. Yep. Earlier tonight. Mm. Hmm. My opinion is, I I do think it's good. I think it's really good. Hmm. I I don't know if I would call it the best ever, but I'm not an animator. However, the one thing that I had to sort of put, shift my mind into, okay, so I didn't remember that this cartoon was just presented as an opera, not as an opera performance in a cartoon. You know what I mean? It's not like there was an audience and this was on a stage and it was an opera. It was just presented as an opera. And I had to kind of think. This must have been a wild, revolutionary thing in 1957, I think it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, to go into a movie theater and see, you know, you're used to seeing these cartoons, but you see this, like a cartoon outside of the normal format of a cartoon. That must have been a trip.
1: Yes. Um. Now, when people talk about, like, the great cartoons, this will Mm. get paired up with uh, The Rabbit of Seville, which does have a format where they're out, where they wander into an opera house and then become part of the uh, music. Right. Yeah. Um, And I think, not even close, a way better cartoon than what's Opera Doc. Hmm. Like, I don't Interesting. Think...
0: I'd have to go back and watch that.
1: Yeah, I don't think What's Opera Doc is even, like, the ten best Chuck Jones cartoons. Hmm. Hmm. I'm not, I'm not like, dumping on it and saying it's no good, but... Okay, I'll say one thing that is not that great. I don't think Man. they incorporated the music that well. Eh. And I don't think that it's within the range... It's within Mel Blanc's range to try to sing to this.
0: Hmm, yeah. He... I One of my memories of it is how his voice falls apart when he's doing the kill the wabbit and yeah. he gets to the end and it's like, kill the wabbit. <laughs> he, he just kind of <laughs> falls
1: apart. I'm thinking mostly of the Bugs singing, you know, mm-hmm. and, and it really puts into perspective. Like, I, I'm not a big fan of the various other people that have tried to do Bugs Bunny. But I mm-hmm. find that they're especially bad when they sing as him. But then listening hmm. to this, I don't think Mel Blanc is
0: all that great singing as Bugs either. Yeah. I'm just looking this up now, and apparently there was I'm not 100% sure Mel Blanc actually did the voice of Elmer Fudd in this. Yeah,
1: I was thinking the, the the yeah, the the voice of Elmer Fudd was still alive at this point. I think.
0: Yeah, I'm seeing Arthur Q Bryan as Elmer Fudd. Yeah, but neither though Elmer Yeah. Although it does have Elmer Fudd yelling "smog,"
1: yeah, neither of them are have, have the chops. I think. Yeah. They, like I said, they better fit to the, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> l- let me cut your mop. <laughs> you know that that, that uh, rhythm for the mm. the rabbit of Sylville. Mm-hmm. They do a lot better there. And there's some good looking parts to this cartoon. Like the parts that I especially like are when uh, Elmer's summoning the storm. And Bugs yeah. is running away, and Bugs is small in all the screens where he's running away, and you know he's on like a heavily shadowed, craggy landscape.
0: Yeah, I like all those quite a bit. It looks real nice. It's got a nice visual style to it. It's it's kind of uh, it's interesting that way. I'm just yeah. looking up the um, Academy Awards for Best Animated Short Film. Yeah. Um, this wasn't even nominated. Hmm. Instead. Now, now I don't know if the year is for the year that it came out or the year that it the awards were actually awarded. Yeah, it's but it's, it's flaky. Yeah, I'm seeing that 1957. The winner was Birds Anonymous. Do you remember that one? Not immediately. That is a Sylvester and Tweety. Oh, where okay. Yes, I do. Sylvester okay. is reformed and he's no longer eating birds, and he's trying to resist the temptation to eat Tweety. And th- huh.
1: Okay, so it's not the one with a suicidal bird that keeps leaping into his mouth. (laughs) I don't
0: think so. Okay. And then if we consider 1958, like, you know, if it was, came out in 57, but awarded in 58, Mm -hmm. the winner that year was Nighty Night Bugs. Okay. Which is one that we talked about, what, two weeks ago? Yeah. Hmm. So that's
1: interesting. You know, the first image that comes to mind when I think of this one is... uh, when Bugs is dressed as the Valkyrie, that robust, thack horse. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> that I, horse I li- has got to be kind of influential. Oh, yeah. I like when it turns around and sits its fat butt down.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a good horse. It's a really good horse. I think... I wonder if, does I wonder it- if there's some inspiration in the, the horse in that one episode of um, Adventure Time. Hmm. Where they're being watched by the horse.
1: I wonder, does this horse design reappear? I think it might in another cartoon.
0: Maybe. It's funny enough that they may as well.
1: Yeah. Also, since I was comparing uh, Rabbit of Seville to this one, both Mm -hmm. of them have an instance of Elmer being very easily wooed by bugs dressed as a woman. (laughs) <laughs> well that's a recurring theme in looney tunes yes it's like automatic i wonder if he's just around practically any woman that he turns into a
0: dope <laughs> right hmm Hmm. i might argue that almost any looney tunes character would turn into a dope around a woman oh they're so rare
1: right yeah exactly yes like i guess who's uh granny and prissy i think are the most recurring uh <laughs> looney <laughs> tunes women
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. Sometimes, I don't think Elmer has this depth, but sometimes I think that he must be haunted by this fact. <laughs> <That> he, <laughs> how often he's just, uh, um, has the hots for a bugs in a dress. <laughs> Anytime he meets a woman, he's like, oh, he twicked me again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, he probably, re- oh, boy, that'd be a good sketch for the modern uh, Looney Tunes cartoons that have more, more of an adult edge, even than the old ones do. Uh-huh. Like... How Elmer meets his perfect match, but he blows it off because he thinks it's bogus as an address.
0: <laughs> I was gonna say, yeah, it's yeah. like some some woman is like coming on to him or something, and he's like yanking on her hair. It's like, oh, get that wig off, you wabbit. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, that's <sighs> pretty. Well, so there we go. We yeah. are not a hundred percent sold on the idea that this is the best cartoon ever. I'm not But even it's still 10%. pretty good. Yeah. It's good. Yeah. Well, Micah, uh yes. this week, uh I hate to I hate to to let you know, but um we've been kind of scrounging lately. Uh if you've been listening to the podcast or if you've been recording the podcast, mm. you may have noticed that we don't really have uh the ads that we used to. Oh. We're kind of yeah, we're we've kind of fallen onto hard times since Geppels Goo decided that Kevin Smith's <laughs> podcast was a better match for their brand. <laughs> yeah. So this past week I've been kind of doing some wheeling and dealing and I have managed to land us a new sponsor. Oh. Who? Yes. So no judgment, but I'm assuming that a decent uh, portion of our audience are villains. Yeah. And as villains, you've got all kinds of plans. You might you might want to destroy the environment for your own profit. <laughs> you might uh you might want to rob a bank or Fort Knox or its equivalent, or maybe you just want to take over the world. But there's always gonna be heroes who are gonna thwart you, and you need to keep an eye on them. And that's why we have partnered with our sponsor, One Ring. One Ring is the surveillance service that will keep an eye on the heroes that are on their way to thwart you. It's an amazing service, it will benefit you. The the cameras get the cameras are invisible and incorporeal. They can do anything as long as they're on the same planet that you're on. They will follow your heroes no matter how many times the background loops behind them. I always wondered. Huh? Yeah. That's it, it's an awesome service. Uh, it, it's compatible with any kind of viewing device you have spanning sci-fi or fantasy, whether it's a holographic display, some kind of television, a crystal ball, a pool of liquid, a, ma- a, a mirror, a magic mirror. If you have a magic mirror, you can watch your heroes approach through one ring. And we have a special offer for you. If you go to Mount Doom in the land of Mordor, look for the cracks of doom and enter the code ANSEL, you will get an additional camera for your lair. This is useful if you want to turn around and introduce yourself, if you need to explain your nefarious plan and your henchmen or heroes are not around. This camera will make sure that all your secrets are broadcast to an audience somewhere. Plans start for as little as your eternal service to the Dark Lord Sauron. So get this extra camera. Go, go to the land of Mordor, enter Ancel in the cracks of doom and get that free camera. One ring to view them all. Terms and conditions apply. One ring is not responsible if your nefarious plans are thwarted by your heroes overhearing you explaining those plans into the camera.
1: (laughs) You know, not just good for villains. Good for anyone, really. It's the perfect birthday gift, in my opinion.
0: Yeah. Well, well, they they can't legally exclude anyone, but it's it's for villains. It doesn't work the same. Like, villains are so slippery; it's hard to get a camera on them. Heroes <laughs> just walk around out in the open. <laughs> All right. Cool. <laughs> what do you? got? That's what I did this week. What do you got, Michael? <laughs> oh, she so did this week.
1: Okay. Well, that's that's cool. That's cool. You know, <laughs> brings in the dollars. Um, yep. Okay, well, I looked at um, a movie called The House. Oh, I think this... I've seen this on, like, Netflix or something. Yeah, that's where it currently is, yes. Uh, it's a stop-motion uh, anthology mm-hmm. of three shorts oh. centered around a house, and each one has mystery and horror elements. Is it the same house? I think so. I'm not sure if okay. it's the same model, even. It might be, which would be cool. I'd have to go back and look. Um, but like the the first one is about like a mad architect that um, puts a family into a house, then the guy's all the willing to go into there because he has an inferiority complex about what he's achieved in his life mm-hmm. But the deal is too good to be true, and well, stuff happens. Um, the next one is about a rat guy. it's it's furry the The, the rat guy is, he's uh, renovating the house. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's slowly going mad from having to do all this effort to maintain the house and rid, rid him uh, the premises of pests. Um, mm-hmm. And the, the, the last featurette is a cat woman who wants to uh, build this house into something great, but she only has lazy, flaky tenants who pay her in uh, things other than cash. Huh. Yeah, it's weird that there's kind of an asymmetry to these three shorts and that the first one has humans, but then it's rat people and cat people. Hmm. Is it uh, the same director all the way through? I don't think so. I think there are three different directors. Hmm. Um. I'm not going to give it like a resounding recommendation, but, you know, there's not a lot out there if you want to watch stop motion. <laughs> and That's true. It's It's not bad. It's not bad. Um, well, especially good. if if you're open to be having like eerie well, stop motion kind of lends itself to being eerie anyway, huh?
0: Cuz it's uh, It can. It's I I yeah. wonder if that's just because of the way that it has been used. Like cuz you think about the the stuff that's been stop motion in recent times and mm-hmm. it's been like The Nightmare Before Christmas, Corpse Bride, uh mm. Coraline, you know? And then, and then even stuff that isn't eerie, things like uh, Fantastic Mr. Fox, mm-hmm. it has this kind of unsettling look to it. You know what I, I mean? I guess it's sort of
1: an uncanny valley thing in terms mm. of size. Yeah. That you're, you're seeing all these textures and stuff that are a little bit the wrong size. Yeah. And also for me, uh, the ones that have fluffy objects, you know, like cotton or whatever that mm-hmm. they're always kind of subtly moving is a yeah. little weird but um yeah anyway i so i checked that out the um another thing that i've been looking at uh i've been looking at generation 1 transformers episodes oh boy you know what i i've contemporaries that say that this is a terrible show <laughs> i think it holds up pretty well i have a good time hmm. watching them i think some people get hung up on animation errors I mean, they're inevitable for this kind of show. Yeah. So many complex designs, so many characters. But, yeah, um, true. the The one that I watched last was the season one ender called Heavy Metal War. Okay. It introduced the Constructicons. Oh, okay. Kind of out of nowhere. And a funny thing is, I think the show had a... Either didn't have a very good design Bible, or you know, they just wrote whatever they felt like because Megatron mentions having built them and (laughs) yet they're in like many uh,
0: flashbacks on Cybertron from millions of years ago. So, oh yeah. Oh yeah. My immediate, when you said when, when Megatron built them, I'm like, wait a minute. I remember an episode all about how Omega Supreme used to be friends with the Constructicons on Cybertron. So at least 4 million years ago.
1: Yeah. 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 I mean, the, the premise of the episode is that uh, Megatron uh, builds a device that will transfer any Transformers power trip rectifier to him in order to stack him full of more power and powers. So hmm. he, he challenges Optimus Prime to a duel, which apparently is part of like Cybertronian honor. That he has to honor it, and mm. and the the loser has to vacate the Earth. Uh, um,
0: I kind of remember this.
1: Yeah, so Megatron stacks the deck by absorbing all the powers of the other Decepticons. Right. It, it gets a little convoluted, because in order to stop Teletran 1, their computer, from detecting that Megatron is cheating, the Constructicons uh, infiltrate uh, the Ark from underground. <laughs> But <laughs> I guess the redheaded stepchildren that they are, the Dinobots aren't invited to come watch the uh, the duel, <laughs> so they're just in the Ark and there to stop the Constructicons.
0: I guess I guess in toy terms they would have been roughly equivalent because yeah, like there were no Decepticon Dinobots. Yeah, and at this point, uh, the Constructicons were the first and only Combiners. And they were all uh, Decepticons,
1: you know. Yeah, and and they're regular rivals, all, mm. uh, Dinobots and uh, uh, Constructicons. Thing about that though, uh, a lot of people have uh, like officially and not as, as official as comic books are. That is, uh, yeah. And and toy bash kits, but uh, have made combiner forms for the Dinobots. <laughs> and i i don't really like it i think it's okay for things not to be the same <laughs> yeah i think it's okay for the autobots just to have five really powerful stupid warriors that are roughly equivalent to fighting a combiner
0: but sure especially because you know they made a regular habit later of having opposing combiners like right. the what are they the combaticons and the, the stunticons Aerobots? There's Stunticons. That's what they were. There was the Stunticons and the Aerobots, which were the the Decepticons that were cars and the Autobots that were planes, which Which was topsy-turvy world. It's it's so funny to me that the Decepticons
1: unlocked the Autobot skill of stuntiness, you know? (laughs) (laughs) I remember they just couldn't deal with them. These cars are going everywhere, man. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. It should have been an awakening of the Decepticons when the Autobots made a bunch of, of flying transformers. They're like,
0: "Oh yeah, that's pretty good," <laughs> but uh, <laughs> and then they just didn't care. Like they, yeah. I'm thinking now the Combaticons were the warrior vehicles, tanks yes. and stuff, yeah. and then they were opposed by the. I think it was the Rescue Bots, Protective Bots, the Protective Bots. Thank you. Yeah, um, which were all the like rescue vehicles. Including, I think, there was a helicopter in there. Mm. So, at that point, it's like, whatever. Truck, yeah. plane, who cares? As long as they're good or evil. Right. You know, actually, <laughs>
1: um, when I was a little kid, I would race through schoolwork in order to then have free time to design Transformers. <laughs> um, and I designed a combiner that was military vehicles. Oh. Um, so, I, I was way ahead of the curve. I. I <laughs> I beat them to it, except I don't think out of any sense of practicality, but rather just me observing patterns, I would often paint swap <laughs> existing transformer models. <laughs> so, the body of the combiner, what is he? Is it long haul? The, the uh, dump truck from the Constructicons. I just, I just took his design and uh, made him camo. And hey. gave gave him a canopy on the back for um, like like he's a military troop <laughs> oh, transport. Sure, yeah, okay. <laughs> Actually, speaking of of transformer names, you know that sometimes uh, because we were talking about uh, Dinobots, that slag is called slug. Yeah, in part it's I think because of trademark problems, uh, but also it's mm-hmm. because slag is a derogatory term. In, yes. Um, yeah, yeah, it is long haul. In the, by the UK. Way. Yeah, yeah, so he he's very often slug.
0: Well, yeah, I mean slag makes more sense because it's like because he know, breathes fire a, that melts stuff. Yeah, it's it's yeah. molten metal. But um, I liked I would also design transformers, but mm-hmm. I was into dinosaurs at the time, so I made up new Dinobots right. based on all the dinosaurs that I was looking at, and I I made sure that all their names started with S.
1: Oh yeah, to keep the uh, pattern. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Actually, I really like the Dinobot uh, palette. I like the red and gold and gray. Yeah, see nice. through. Well, yeah, yeah. The parts of them were yeah, yeah the yeah. gold parts. I think so. That particular cartoon. I wonder. Like, I wonder, should that constitute cheating? Given the kind of life form they are, like augmenting, mm. uh, making a machine that augments. Megatron's body. That doesn't feel like cheating to me in their... in that scenario. Hmm.
0: Well, it's an interesting query, because they're already all augmented by being able to transform into Earth objects.
1: Hmm. Maybe there's some, like, honor code where you can only use power that's derived from your spark. (laughs) Heh. But... It was not a bad cartoon. I enjoyed it. One weird thing about it was that um do you remember how the 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 first miniseries had the um what is it, the nemesis? The 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 ship of the Decepticons, it crash crashes into the ocean after Mirage sabotages it, right? Okay. And then all the Autobots are like, yay, yay, we've done it. We've killed the Decepticons. <laughs> and at the end you see a hatch get Knocked open and Megatron swims out, right? It's like, oh, they're okay. not done for real. Yeah. So I guess this was like a pattern they wanted to make because at the end of the... F- almost out of nowhere, the Decepticons get overwhelmed once once the uh, Constructicon scheme is exposed. And of course, mm. all those Decepticons are totally weak because they don't have their abilities, right? Right. Um, so a, fiss- a fissure that gets opened up, I guess, between uh, Sludge and Rumble having an earthquake off... Um, it's got lava at the bottom of it and Megatron gets knocked down into it. And like all the Decepticons have a turn getting knocked down into the lava and sinking in. And it's another one of those moments where they're like, yeah, I think we won. I think we killed all the Decepticons. (laughs) And and then at the end you see like Megatron emerging from the lava, like burns all over him going, you know, like we shall get vengeance or whatever he says. But Hmm. It was, it was felt like weirdly perfunctory. Okay. End of the episode. End of the season. All you guys into the lava. There you go.
0: And then when Transformers actually did die in the movie, it was basically just from a shootout. Yeah. I think
1: maybe more modern series, you know, I bet they don't. I think they could afford to kill off characters like that. Hmm. But, hmm. Anyway, I guess that's what's up for this week. Um, what about the, uh, our, our regular stuff, our assignments?
0: Yeah, you mentioned stop-motion series on Netflix. or yeah. Well, no, you mentioned a movie. I'm talking about a series, though. This is yeah. called Rilakkuma and Kauru. So, little background. This is made by Dwarf Studio, which is the studio that made domo You know, that meme furry hey. rectangle thing? Hmm. I have a comic book from 7-Eleven of like domo drinking a slurpee and getting brain freeze or something. He He's pretty funny. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so this um this was created by Aki Kondo for the Japanese company San-X, who are basically just, you know, one of those Sanrio type companies whose entire job is to make characters that they can put on merchandise. Mm-hmm. Um launched in 2003 just as uh Rilakuma, which is it's a portmanteau of the word relax or the the um Japanese equivalent of relax mm. and uh kuma, which means bear. <laughs> um now this pairs her up with a a lady named Kauru. He has also got some friends, uh he's a he's this kind of stuffed brown bear, Rilakuma is and uh, he's got a, a smaller white bear named Koralakma and a little uh, bird thing called Kiroi... K- Ugh, Japanese words are hard to pronounce sometimes, man. Hmm. Kiroi... Kiroitori. Yeah. Kiro- Yellow Kiroitori. bird. Kiro- oh, okay. Great. Thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah. And they basically just live together. It's never explained why these stuffed animals are sentient, but... <laughs> Yeah, whatever. Who cares? Uh. So the first episode is called Cherry Blossom. And it starts off just simply enough. It's just Rilakkuma waking up. He's trying to pr- he's trying to brush one of his ears, which is all scrunched up back into straight uh, into shape. And Kaoru helps him out and notices the cherry blossoms because it's spring. She's getting ready for work. And this is the time of year when new staff join. And she wants to make a good impression because she's going to be a senior now with. Junior staff beneath her. Mm. But uh, when she gets to work, she finds out that there's actually no new staff joining this year. And in fact, times are pretty luffed at Samejima. Do you know what the word Jima means in Japanese? I was not able to figure this out. Hmm. Because I know that Same means shark. Not off the top. I mean, I guess in Japanese, different combinations of syllables mean different things. So Samejima might not be like. Shark thing. It might be its own word. Hmm. I don't not off know. the top of my head. But. Okay. Anyway, it's it's times are so rough there that all staff actually have to take a ten percent pay cut, and they're encouraged not to work overtime. They're encouraged to just get their work done during normal hours, which must be kind of a cultural thing in Japan. Yeah. Because but if you just
1: have more work to do, you can. Take over time sometimes? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But by, by the way, I think it's
0: Island. Shark Island. Nah. Okay. Why not? Anyway, Kaoru is still looking forward to the cherry blossom picnic. That's when she and her five college friends get together when the cherry blossoms bloom and have a picnic. But it's been harder for them to get together at a coordinated time nowadays, which boy, that resonates yeah swap out picnic with role playing game yeah Me- Micah and I got together with a couple of our other friends to play board games uh on Saturday I think it was yeah so like a week ago when you're listening to this and it was the first time we had seen each other in like two years <laughs> yeah i yeah. I had actually forgotten what a large man you are and oh, i don't wow. mean i don't mean large like fat I mean like I'm getting there just big uh, <laughs> like a, staring at sitting across the table, looking at your huge head the whole night.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I see that Joe Rogan and I are in a race to see whose head can get the biggest, <laughs> but yeah. yeah, I can't. Yeah. Hat sizes are really difficult. <laughs> mm, yeah.
0: So anyway, yeah, this is an adult thing, not being able yep. to get together and have fun with your friends because they're all too busy. And mm. But the thing is that they're all doing other stuff like, you know, they got good jobs and moving overseas and getting married and having kids. And one of her coworkers kind of suggests that Kauru might be getting left behind because she is not doing any of that. She's just uh, living basically alone with some stuffed animals. Yes. And working. <laughs> yeah. So back at home, Kauru is preparing food for the picnic. And, um, of course, Korolakuma and uh, Kiroitari... Ki- Kiroitori, I that yep. name is the hardest. Just just make it along Ki- like Kiroitori, Kiro, yeah. Kiroitori, um, they want some too, and Kaoru has to fend them off because this is one of the things her friends always look forward to is her cooking. You know she's what? Making, hmm. Um. Only just recently,
1: I was reading a comic book. So you know those omelet rolls that she's putting yeah. in there? Yeah. You know how those are made? How. It it seems so like, duh. But I watched, uh, I was reading a comic and she was making them. It's just a rectangular
0: little um, skillet. Well, that's what it looked like she was making it in. It looks like there was like this dedicated skillet for specifically that food stuff. But like when I
1: eventually saw that as a revelation, like, oh, well, and then it was like, oh, of course.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Never knew it. I mean, I'm sure that there's all kinds of Japanese cookware that we would look at. And go like, oh, that's specifically to make this one food. Okay. Mm. Like there was a, I saw, was it a YouTube video? It was a, it was a video of a, I think it was a machine that just made takoyaki. Like you would, you would put the takoyaki batter in it and it would like, it, it would like rotate around and like squirt batter into these little cups. And then when it got back to the start, it would flip them over to cook them. I don't know. Huh. I've never had takoyaki, actually. Me neither. I really like octopuses, like, as mm. an animal. They're so cool and smart. I kind of... Well, yeah. wince at the idea of eating them.
1: Yeah. The intelligence uh, cut off, right? Like... Yeah. Um, that's the extent where I would say I want to be a vegetarian, is that <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't want to eat anything that's that smart.
0: Sure, yeah. Hmm. Uh, so, anyway, yeah, she's making food. Um... She encourages her animal friends to make pancakes for themselves as she leaves. Hmm. And she is so happy and excited to be hanging out with her friends as she heads off to stake her claim in the picnic area. And there she waits while her stuffed animals burn pancakes. And (laughs) she waits. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I love that. that?
1: I, I really love watching Korulikma. Go throw a tantrum there, bang on the table, arr, arr, and uh, <laughs> then Rilakuma's disappointment at the taste of his hotokikis. <laughs> yeah, but they look cool, though, like except for the yeah. fact that
0: they're burned. Like they're so thick, appealing, and yeah, yeah, like they look, you know, except for the burn part. And even then, I bet they're still pretty tasty on the inside. Hmm. Anyway, uh, Kaoru is waiting and waiting, and other picnic groups show up, and her friends aren't coming. And then text messages start coming in and one by one, all the other five ladies have last minute reasons for not coming to the picnic. There's one whose kid has a fever, one who's got extra work, one has a new boyfriend that she wants to spend time with. One of them is a successful author who has a book signing. And you'd think you would have mentioned that before, like, you know, an hour after you were supposed to be there.
1: No good, man.
0: And the one who organized the whole thing just plain forgot. Hmm. And in a huff, Kauru has no recourse but to chug the beers that she bought. Hmm. She feels sorry for herself. She's starting to realize that she really is being left behind. And back at home, the animals are throwing tantrums on the table about their burned pancakes. And that's yeah. when Kauru returns. She gives the food she made to the animals while well, she just feels drunk and depressed. But the animals have other ideas. They push Kauru to her feet and take her out by the river where they have their own cherry blossom picnic. Maybe still a bit drunk, Kauru ponders the fleeting pink beauty of the cherry blossoms and wonders if she would stand out more if she became pink too. But the closeness of her friends makes her set the idea aside. Then we see a note on a board reminding us that every flower blooms in a different period. And we also see a sullen young boy sitting on top of a jungle gym and looking wistfully at Kauru's apartment. Hmm. Now, this was an 11-minute half-sode, as you might call it. I know, I should have I just given you two. Well, I what? watched the second one. Okay. I showed some initiative. Want me to talk about it? Yeah, go ahead. This second episode is called Kidnapped. Hmm. And it opens with Kauru and her friends walking along the riverbank. And Kauru is noticeably dressed all in pink. They spot carp streamers and the animals imitate fish prompting kauru to wonder if they want their own carp streamers as they walk away that boy from before sits by the river looking at the group and being dejected and dejected and angry later kauru comes home with presents for the stuffies in the form of fish cookies of some kind i'm not really i i kind of recognize these but i don't know what they are maybe you they're do? just
1: yeah they're just cookies that are full of like custard or red bean
0: oh okay they're, they're just cookies basically okay. yeah they were they were full of some black stuff and i was wondering if it was like some kind of caviar but no no whatever it's it,
1: they're they're not as weird as a westerner probably thinks so when they look at them
0: <laughs> okay yeah. so they're just it's just uh cookies full of uh, like yummy
1: yeah fair I enough. Got one, down okay. the, one down the street that that uh like a uh a food truck that makes them
0: oh cool yeah anyway she watches her plush animals play with the streamers while the boy watches the apartment from his jungle gym again. He tosses something at the window, but he runs off before anyone can see him. Anyone except Kiyotori, K- Kiro, the bird. kiroi How about that? Kiroi? Ki- kiroi. I'm, I'm trying to divide it in half. It's kiroi Itori. Yeah. Kiroi-tori, but it just yep. doesn't come out. Mm. Anyway. The next day, as Kauru heads for work, she's surprised by a note on her door that says no pets, though she doesn't know who wrote it, or even if her stuffed animal companions count as pets. While Kaoru is gone, the boy rings her doorbell and runs off, getting the stuffy's attention. They head out to investigate, but Rulakama is distracted by a butterfly. That's when the boy tries to catch him with a butterfly net, but of course the big bear just brushes it off. Later... Rilakima finds a snack on the stairs. I guess these are rice balls of some kind. Hmm. But it's part of an elaborate trap that leads to him being lassoed. When Kauru gets home, the panicked Korilakima and the bird show her a ransom note. Rilakima has been kidnapped, and the ransom is three pancakes with butter and honey. Kaoru imagines the worst and makes pancakes in a panic, not doing a great job of it. And then they wait outside the building at the allotted time. Another note is thrown, telling them to come to room 102. There, they find the boy and Rilakama just hanging out and playing video games. Kauru is annoyed, but the boy wants her to stay. And when she learns that his mom is working late and there is no dad, she feels sorry for him and takes him back to her home for a good home-cooked meal. There, we learn that his name is Tokyo, and Kaoru asks him to help hang up the carp streamers tomorrow, including a new one for him. And Mm. there's chalk graffiti on the ground that says, we have one more friend now. And that's the end. Pretty sweet. Yeah. By the way, I didn't watch
1: that one recently, but I'm going to guess the thing that he's lured with is probably dongo, which is like just a dumpling made from rice flour. It's it's on on a stick, right? It's three white balls on a skewer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's Odongo. Okay. It's the yeah. It's one of like the favorite foods of these uh, stuffed bears. I figured it was almost certainly some manner of rice confection. <laughs> that's basically the answer. To it. It's kind of like um, answering Mexican food—that it's all these ingredients in a tortilla. <laughs> that's the that kind <laughs> of thing. With, it's the Japanese food. Ah, it, it's rice that's pounded into this and yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. oh,
0: they're donuts.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh no.
0: Um, Hey, I was I wasn't sure what to expect from this, because when I first turned it on, the little thing in the corner was like PG and it suggested like violence and gore. (laughs) (laughs) When? (laughs) I don't know. I was like, I was like, okay. Oh, I know when
1: I know when there there's an episode that's like Japanese horror. It's like a storm. And then there's a uh, a corpse girl that appears. I think that's what they're talking about.
0: Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. yeah. But um, no, this is just a pretty sweet little um, stop motion uh, yeah. thing about uh, this is lady who's kind of stumbling through her life with uh, three inexplicable plush companions. Yeah. I, I
1: formed, I, I recently watched this series again. I've watched it. Twice, I guess. Now, okay. <laughs> um, the first time through, I had this theory: the the reason why she has these stuffed animal companions is they're allegorical for her inability to do, to move on to adulthood. Hmm. I mean, they actually exist. Other people see them clearly, right? Yeah. So, yeah. So, um, so I think at some point it just takes over that this is reality. But that that was my opinion on the the
0: basis of her having them. Yeah. Um, the. Apparently in the comics um from 2003 the various animals just kind of showed up in Caro's oh, right. apartment and Caro yeah. was never actually seen she was only a you know sometimes Japanese comics do this where a character is only seen in like silhouette or obscured in some way right <laughs> yeah. um so yeah it's it's a really cool little thing mm-hmm. i i like stop motion and it's nice that it's still being done and it's nice that it's being done so well. Right.
1: And I like, I like the characters in this too. Like I like, uh, Kauru is a person that just can't figure out what to do with her life. That seems yeah. to be a thing too, especially in, in, uh, uh, Japanese stuff. Cause hmm. like, um, uh, Agretsuko is the same way. Um, yeah. so, and, you know, it's also nice to have a story about an adult, in my opinion. Uh, that, that's true. Yeah. High school, such a short period of life. And, but man, in cartoons, do we see a lot of it? Oh, um, we do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think I I, I, I like the, the various pets. Like, uh, <laughs> Tori, I like that. I don't know if it shows up so much in these uh, first couple of episodes, but I like that bird is so fastidious and dutiful. Hmm. Right. That's always yeah. dusting the house. And, yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, I really like, uh, Rilakkuma's, um, denseness, <laughs> you know, that <laughs> he's such a dope and so lazy. Um, <laughs> I like his groans, so ooh. <laughs> like <laughs> when he tries his burnt pancake and then sags, ooh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's actually currently my wallet. He's, a uh, my last two wallets have been, uh, Rilakkuma wallets. Oh, that's Cool. Well, nice. because uh, just like Kauru, um, or unlike her in some ways, okay, unlike Kauru, I'm pretty lucky that most of my friends have been kept in a juvenile stasis loop. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> like one of them has had a family. I, uh, you know. I, Well, I say one, two of them, I guess, of a family. And another two have recently had a baby, but, you know, we're like in our 40s. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, Yeah. we're still talking about video games and cartoons, cartoons, obviously. Um, Yeah, that's that's pretty cool for us, I guess.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Nice that we can just, well, (sighs) it is rough that we have such trouble getting together to have fun. Right. Oh, yeah. Thinking about the old days where you just,
1: you know, you, you would role play for over a day. <laughs> you know?
0: <laughs> yeah. You and it was it was like, snacks. you know, there'd be a phone call. It's like, hey, we're playing games tonight. You want to come? It's like, oh, yeah, OK, sure. Just um, come grab me after work. Yeah. Things like what? I'm trying to think like there were times when like we had a friend who was like he was going to buy a car in a city that's kind of far away from here. Mm-hmm. And he was like. Hey, I'm going to check out this car and maybe buy it. Do you want to come? I'm like, yeah, okay. And so one of my days was just a road trip out to uh, Hope. Was it Hope or Mission? I'm pretty sure it was Hope. Mm. And I was like, and now I'm like, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I had enough free time that I could do that.
1: Yeah. Makes me kind of like want that uh, Penny Arcade lifestyle. (laughs) (laughs) You see see their like documentary videos and, you know, they... uh, (laughs) They write for a few hours in the day, and then, you know, it's just whatever for the rest of it. Well, I guess Mike spends some time drawing it, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Oh, well. This is a good series. I I recommend it for anyone that likes adult stuff and likes cute stuff.
0: Yeah. And stop motion, which, as I said, there isn't enough of. Now, meanwhile, on the other (laughs) end of adulthood, there's this other business.
1: Kind of? <laughs> there's there's adults in it, and I, I'll say again, kind of? <laughs> yeah. Um, I looked at Police Academy, the series, and uh, the particular episode is Nine Cops and a Baby, written by Meg McLaughlin in 1988. So, the basics on Police Academy. Police Academy was a series of theatrical comedies about weirdos and goof-ups studying to be members of the police. The premise of the first movie is that enrollment in the police is so low that they have to drop the standards for new recruits. And the top brass themselves would rather see these troublesome boobs quit, because they're just so bad at being cops. But Mm. when opportunity and disaster strikes, wouldn't you know that seemingly useless trainees turn out to be competent officers of the law? (laughs) Now, I have been a snob my entire life. (laughs) I never much gave these movies a chance because I always thought they were pretty stupid.
0: Um, I remember watching, I've probably seen most of them at some point uh, on, you know, rented on home video. And I just, I kind of went, yeah, okay. Now, the, the reputation they have gained in retrospect is as some of the worst movies ever. Oh, they're not that. They're not that. Um, and they no. were extremely profitable, which is why they made six of them. But they have that reputation in pop culture. Like, I think about The Simpsons, where Bart mm. was caught stealing. And Homer's like, stealing? Why do you think I took you to all those Police Academy movies? For fun? Well, I didn't hear anyone
1: laughing. <laughs> yeah, that's a good joke. Actually, when t- <laughs> i talking about Police Academy uh, jokes at Police Academy's expense, one of the <laughs> things I remember... It was like a joke about how many police academy movies they were in Mad Magazine. <laughs> so like, it was something about, you know, seeing police academy eight or whatever, right? right? And it had like a horse's butt and a police officer with his head stuck in it. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Now, as for the actual movie as, as a kid, cause I've seen at least it in part. Um, the part, especially kids, I think, uh, remember, is um, Cadet Jones and his uh, ability to mimic sounds. Yeah. So he, I think he made like a siren noise with his mouth? No, he probably made
0: every noise.
1: Yeah, I mean, he really could. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, Stand-up comedian Michael Winslow. Yeah, probably the most memorable thing for me from the movie. I Mm. mean, Steve Gutenberg was the star of the movie. (laughs) And, uh, he, I think I'm being overly kind to call him the poor man's Bill Murray. (laughs) (laughs) If you can't get Bill Murray, because they're in similar movies, right? Stripes is like Police Academy, pretty much.
0: Yeah, I, I can see, you know, this kind of rush after, after a movie like Ghostbusters, like this rush to find the next breakout Bill Murray. Yeah.
1: So, uh, the episode proper... Okay, so an attractive woman is moving into the building Wait, next what before well, you well, even start? Can oh, I Oh, the mention- theme song? Do you do you want to sing the theme song for us? <laughs> I well, it's
0: it's by the Fat Boys who are a clone of uh, Run DMC. But the thing that drove me nuts is at the very yep. end when the title comes up and it says Police Academy in all yep. capital letters and the idiot Steve Gutenberg character Malone says, "Hey, someone forgot to dot the i," and then the gun nut Tackleberry uses his bazooka to <laughs> dot it. You don't right. dot capital I's, you morons. That's all I wanted yeah. to say. All
1: right, carry yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. All right, all right. Well, cool theme song, I guess. Like as a kid, I probably thought it was dumb, but <laughs> now I like that it exists. But anyway, um, okay start of this episode, an attractive woman is moving into the building next door to Officer Mahoney's, or Cadet Mahoney's, I guess. And I think it's in he, the building. Is it? I don't that's think why, so. Well, that's Isn't why a,
0: he's, he's like making dinner and expecting the smell to reach her. Man, this thing
1: makes no sense to me. <laughs> she, she gets in there and waits for an elevator. And from the outside, I was thinking, this thing's got an elevator. You know, it's like a two-story building or three. And, uh, yeah, I don't. Man, I don't know. Anyway, they're neighbors in some capacity. Yeah. Um, and he's, he finds her beauty so distracting that he rides his police car roadster right into her moving van. And he continues to mess up when he follows her to the elevator. He brings along the lampshade that he broke. And then Mahoney shoots his shot when asks her to dinner, but she is not interested. On the phone in her new home, the woman speaks with an Agent 36... It turns out that she's a secret agent coded Maple Leaf Doll and she is transporting invaluable transistors to the government. Unfortunately for her, the call is intercepted at the telephone pole outside by a thug uh, working for a criminal named Kane. Importantly, Maple Leaf Doll hides the transistors inside of a baby rattle. She shows up to Mahoney's home And he already has optimistically prepared a dinner for two. Mona, which might be her real name or a fake identity, uh, just wants Mahoney to look after her baby niece, Nellie. And good God, Nellie is one of those gibber spouting cartoon babies that is (sighs) delighted while everyone around her gets messy, slips, gets hurt, or otherwise bumbles. Yeah. And I just don't understand. She's got a cover... And she had—is this her real niece? I just don't understand what's going on in this thing.
0: Yeah, and that's I don't weird.
1: Was she? I guess she was leaving the niece with the police officer to then go deliver the transistors for real. I don't know.
0: Well, oh, no, the because way. she has the because the baby had. Oh no, wait, she. But that was yeah. an accident. Was You're an accident. right, right, yeah.
1: right, right, right. Sorry. Yeah. Yes. So, um, at any rate, by the way, I should mention too that uh, Mahoney wears his police uniform all the time (laughs) yeah he still got it on when when he's cooking dinner and so on Um, one of my first thoughts was does he get to take his squad car home his weird souped up squad car with side pipes yeah i don't know (laughs) um anyway instantly mona when she goes outside is abducted by kane's gang and then taken to their hideout accessed through a secret passage in the subway there she's interrogated Because these transistors will allow the control of communication satellites.
0: No, they won't. They won't? That's not what trans- I mean, they were- they will in this cartoon, but that's not what transistors do. Oh my gosh. I think somebody needs to suspend
1: his disbelief. No. Anyway, (laughs) Kane demonstrates the gadgets of his namesake, Kane, by first shooting targets around a wall- uh, map of the world, I guess for panache, and then blowing truth gas out the tip of his cane so that the secret agent will talk. He's kind of like the penguin, I guess. Yeah. Um,
0: with the voice of Vito Corleone.
1: Oh, right, right. Yeah. The Godfather. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so she admits that she hit it in a rattle, but it turns out not to be the rattle in her purse. Nellie, the baby, apparently must have switched the rattles. <laughs> What an excellent cover it was to hide her, her a transistor inside her rattle in, in her purse. Nobody would think that was suspicious, but anyway. Um, meanwhile, Mahoney's house is a mess because he's terrible at everything, including childcare. Nonetheless, he gets her to sleep. When Kane's menacing goon climbs to the bedroom window, the baby fights him off and he falls. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> she she literally clobbers him and he falls down.
0: <laughs> if that but, was the end of it right there, like if he had gone back to Kane and explained what happened, that would have been the most embarrassing. Oh, man. Good I think that's he- a
1: case... That's a case where you, you've got to go straight after that. Like, you're not cut out for this life. <laughs> Years before, Mr. Burns couldn't steal the lollipop from Maggie. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so when Mahoney returns, he assumes Nellie caused the damage to the room herself. So he calls Jones, Hooks, and Hightower to back him up at babysitting. Hold those, those are the other cadets. Yeah, well, no, there's another one. There, there's another two, aren't there? No, no, one. Anyway. Oh, right. um, yeah. Okay. You're right. You know, there's the fat guy. Yeah. Yeah. I the strong guy, that. the genius. Uh, so by the time they arrive, uh, the crook, the crook tries to come in through the window again. Uh, just when Jones, the, uh, noise making cop is telling Nelly a bedtime story. And Jones easily whoops the crook with a pillow and then with a couple of squirts from some baby bottles.
0: Man. First... <laughs> this cartoon First... is better than I thought, man. First, this yeah. dude gets beaten up by a baby. <laughs> then he comes back, gets thwacked by a pillow, grabs a baseball bat and is yes. disarmed by squirts of milk, then trips on his own baseball bat and falls out the window. Oh man. He's going to have some competition for the
1: ineptitude award in a little while though. <laughs> okay, so uh Laverne Hooks is left in charge of Nelly while the other 3 cops get in a car chase. Oh, one boy. of
0: the one of the gadgets. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> oh.
1: <laughs> I've got the goofy gas now. Um,
0: <laughs> no, I, I, I think if this is the part that I think it is, you're right to be laughing because I laugh too. <laughs> this has got to be one of the dumbest cartoon gadgets I've ever seen. One it's of like the gadgets of
1: the souped-up police car is the ability to separate in two, <laughs> front and back, so the back half. Catches up to the car so that Hightower can jump onto the pursued car and rip the roof off with his super strength.
0: So, so let's, we need to set the scene properly here. Picture like the back half of a vehicle with no steering mechanisms, just the back seat and a, a tremendous black man scrunched into the back. And I think there's like a tiny wheel at the front for support. Maybe just Hopefully. scooting along. <laughs> I, I laughed out loud at how ridiculous this was. It's like, Inspector Gadget's gadgets are more effective than this.
1: Oh, I think this is too stupid for Axe Cop. <laughs> <laughs> and what I love is that he lifts the crook up, and then they interrogate him for like 40 seconds while nobody's driving his car. <laughs> <laughs> anyway... So, making only slightly more sense than that, the awesomely strong Hightower is sent back to the police to relay the message and update everyone, and Mahoney and Jones go to the hideout and naturally get caught. Uh, Jones's martial arts are no match for Kane's cane fired net, <laughs> and Mahoney just loses by <laughs> toppling the chair that Mona is tied to onto himself. Oh, my God. Okay, so, at headquarters, the rest of the cops do their lamest attempt at changing a diaper and comedy. (laughs) When Captain Harris shows up, they for some reason hide the baby, with each cop passing Nellie to the next, uh, until the last, little Captain Sweetchuck, or Cadet Sweetchuck, rather, dumps her into the waste paper basket, which legitimately (laughs) made me laugh. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I think I'm good enough to summarize the next bit as some stuff happens, and then Nellie escapes out the window. All of the cadets and one sergeant take off on foot after the crawling baby, and at the bad guy lair, Kane uses his truth gas to learn that the baby is at the station. Further, he severs a water pipe so that the tied up Mahoney and Jones will drown. Because I guess their hideout is watertight. I guess.
0: And also connected <laughs> directly to a manhole.
1: Oh, yeah, we'll get to that. <laughs> yeah, so could, Cadet Hooks um, fights off the criminals and takes over a police car that the baby was driving.
0: I don't know yeah, if I missed it any was, details. Does this make, make any sense to people? <laughs> well, it's it was really weird because Proctor, who is Harris's, like, assistant, his right-hand man, yeah. he yep. was, like, with captain harris who was apoplectic and then he's outside just like i don't know like polishing the wheels of the running police car which the (laughs) baby jumps into and starts driving
1: yeah well everybody's an idiot in this thing yeah um except the baby apparently yes yeah i guess the baby's engineering all this um so it becomes another car chase this time it's crooks after police uh Jones stacks his chair in, in the hideout where they're drowning uh, on Mahoney's chair in order to kick open the manhole cover to the street above them. And leaving the Mahoney res-
0: leaving Mahoney
1: submerged for several minutes. <laughs> yes. Well, you know, he's got to do what he's got to do. Yeah. Um, I mean, if if it came between the two of them, <laughs> I guess the guy that can do sound effects is the one you want to be above water, right? <laughs> Otherwise, you're not utilizing his full potential. Yeah. Um, so the two are rescued, uh, by a construction crew. There's the other thing though, too. I imagine any yelling that they did from that hideout would probably be heard on the street above, right?
0: Yeah. I mean, a lot would be heard from the street. I'm also thinking about when it rains, the water that would yes. come down into that room. Yes. Cause it's a watertight room, apparently.
1: Yeah. I guess they have, maybe they have a drain they can open. Let's, uh, let's workshop how this hall works for, uh, <laughs> Nine cops hmm. and a
0: baby. Hmm. It's their special torture. <laughs> <movie>.
1: <laughs> yeah. Sure. Sure. Or maybe it's the only way they can get water in there. I don't know. Um. So uh, while they're drying out, the two of them hear a uh, the, hear about the situation on their radios, and then they commandeer an ice cream truck. So it's there's even more participants in this chase. However, shots from Kane's cane damage the wheel of the ice cream truck and it's swerving ejects ice cream to then act as a slippery hazard that wipes out other pursuing cops. It becomes a foot chase, Mona being pulled along to follow Crawl Away Nelly. It leads to a big backyard party. The tackling and tripping that ensues ends up tossing the rattle into some saucy drumsticks. (laughs) Comet capering leads to a face-off for the rattle between Kane and his laser cane, and Mahoney and his flashlight. You see, Jones is in the back making lightsaber sound effects that give credibility enough to the flashlight that the
0: duel ends with Kane dumped into the backyard pool. No, it even, like... This drove me nuts watching, like, Kane's laser actually impact the light beam coming out of the flashlight. Yeah, it makes sparks.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> or that even a flashlight would look like it made a saber. Yeah, really.
0: Maybe you there know, was lots a, of smoke.
1: Yeah, I guess. The barbecue. Or maybe this cartoon is a piece of crap. <laughs> Could be. <laughs> So, the transistor is recovered and Mahoney gets the girl, but it's not over. We get a PSA that has its own title card and two, two writers credited to it. (laughs) (laughs) So, Oblivious Commandant Lassard, who I swore must have been based off of Lloyd Bridges, but it's some other guy playing a doddering old guy, Hmm. um, takes his pet goldfish for a walk while advising us, to report suspicious things in the neighborhood. His fish notices a cat burglar, but Lassard assumes it's the open front yard gate that is amiss, and by happenstance, he closes it right in the face of the hiding burglar. Okay. Hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Mm. I thought for a second, is this the first Ruby Spears thing we've looked at? But no, there's Pac-Man.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, so... It, and I really, imagine, it really, it really yeah. reminded me of Hulk Hogan's Rock and Wrestling.
1: Oh, right. Well, you know, it's like, it's lame, but like, every cop fits an archetype in this thing. Yeah. Um, and an obvious archetype. Like, I wonder if the fat guy likes to eat. Yep. Yep. <laughs> the big, the big guy, is he, is he officially strong? He sure is. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> One of the things I think is really funny is the, uh, how, oh, what's his name? Uh, Zed McClunk? McClunk? Yeah, Zed. Is, he's, um, played by Bobcat Goldthwait And I guess if you're under a certain age, you wouldn't know him. He's, he's a comedian whose whole deal is his crazy voice and that he was like constantly clearing his throat of
0: phlegm. <laughs> Yeah, um, if you're a modern cartoon watcher, Bobcat Goldthwaite sometimes shows up in cameos here and there. There's, mm. there's an episode of Adventure Time called Web Weirdos, where Jake and Finn are stuck in a spider web, and these two giant spiders who are a married couple are having an argument. Mm. And the husband spider is Bobcat Goldthwait. Is he doing the Bobcat voice? No. Yeah, he I gave it up, right? I didn't actually realize that it was him until I saw it in the he, credits.
1: Later on, he's more of a producer than yeah. and maybe director than than doing that shtick. I wonder about that sometimes, right? Like uh like if you you watch early Gilbert Gottfried comedy, mm. he goes in and out of the voice. He's like doing other voices. So it's clear to me that, you know, that's not how he normally talks, right? But <laughs> I, th- I think with enough repetition, I think that is how
0: he normally talks now. <laughs> well, it's funny because I remember me and my girlfriend at the time we were watching. It was one of those shows. I don't remember the name of it, but it's a show where people are hunting for ghosts. Maybe mm-hmm. it's called Ghost Hunters. And okay. it was a celebrity edition. And one of oh, the yeah. celebrities was Bob. Well, not Bob. Cut, no, it was um, um, Gilbert, Godfrey. Gilbert Gottfried. And so he's like trying to talk seriously on the radio to another team about ghosts Oh, yeah. (laughs) Which is pretty funny. And it became a running gag with me and my girlfriend where I would just periodically go, there might be ghosts. (laughs) But anyway. You know, what what kind of
1: celebrity do you think he is? Do you think he's B-list or C-list? C-list, right? He's in Smiling
0: Friends. Oh, is he? (laughs) Yeah, he's in the last episode of Smiling Friends. He plays God. Oh, is, I bet that probably entertained him, yeah. Well, it's kind of funny because it's like this, this, this it's, it, it, the character design is like this Roman, this huge Roman, like, god body with a, like, a, a toga or tunic on, but the head yeah. is just obscured light. Okay. And he's like, Congratulations, Charlie! You passed my <laughs> test! Now you can yeah. return to Earth! It's pretty good.
1: Uh, anyway. Yeah, yeah uh, he's, Bobcat a, he's a guest Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, um, He's not in this. So, no, he's not. Uh, This is a Canadian voice acting treasure, as I think I've called him. (laughs) Dan Braveheart Hennessy. Yeah.
0: And I recognized the voice. I was like, oh, my gosh, it's Dan Hennessy.
1: Yeah. And he's Eugene Tackleberry, too. And he was one of the uh, one of Kane's thugs as well. As Zed, he Um, does the
0: thing in cartoons that I hate. The...
1: (laughs) Oh, yeah. His that's,
0: that's, that's his approximation of Bobcat Goldthwait's voice, is to just do that.
1: It's kind of like, you know how they say an impression doesn't have to be exact? Yeah. Based on the look and his voice, I know who he's, who he's supposed to be.
0: <laughs> yeah, um, I guess if you, you know, if you're trying to do that constantly, I guess it gets tiresome. But they just yeah, needed to make him sound
1: like a weirdo. There's only one Bobcat. Yeah. Um, Let's see. Oh. Um you don't see him a ton in the episode, but Captain Harris is voiced by Len Carlson. Yeah. Burt Raccoon. Yep. Um Oh shoot, which dinosaur? Um uh, The Dumb One. Ankylo? No, not Ankylo.
0: Um That that that's Cedric. Cedric's voice. Oh, right, yes. Yeah, yeah. Um Genghis Rex is Dan Hennessy. Um Oh, uh, um, Bonehead. Bonehead, yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> the dumb one. Oh, yeah, Bonehead.
0: Hey, it's Editing Matsy, so just uh, jumping in with some quick corrections regarding Dinosaucer voices. Len Carlson is actually the voice of Aloe, who is the leader of the good dinosaurs. John Stalker is the voice of Ankylo. He's done a million voices. You might recognize him as Toad from the various Mario cartoons of the late 80s and early 90s. And Marvin Goldhar was Bonehead and Cedric Sneer. So got it, got it, good, okay. Yeah. Um per, he used Ganon in the Legend of Zelda segment of the Super Mario Bros. Super Show. I love his voice as Ganon. Yeah. It's, um
1: I actually like, you know, except for the fact that we talk about everything else but police academy, but <laughs> except that except that he's a bumbler, Ganon in that cartoon. Hmm. Um I like the way he looks and sounds and I like his uh his big lamp full of reconstituting monsters. <laughs> Alright, real cool. Um Place Academy, please academy. Also, oh, Ron Rubin fills the big shoes of Steve Gutenberg by playing <laughs> Carrie Mahoney. Just basically a bland nobody. Yes. Uh he also voiced Artemis in the old Sailor Moon dub. Yeah. And and fun for me, Dr. Bad Vibes and
0: Cops. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's another Len Carlson, actually. He was, um, yep. uh, what's his name? Big Boss? Yes.
1: Yeah. yeah. I think when we, especially Deke properties, and I guess, um, uh, Ruby Spears properties, we're going to see these Ontario voices a lot, <laughs> or hear them, I mean. But.
0: I thought that Mona was Luba Goy, but it's not.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. Boy. I I can't make sense of this plot. <laughs> I don't know who she is or wh- how any of this makes any sense. Yeah. yeah. Oh, <sighs> Howard Morris. Howard Morris. Uh, oh, is uh, Sweet Chuck? Yeah. The 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 short cop that throws the
0: baby into the trash bin. Yeah, yeah. He's also the voice director. Hmm. Uh, and Wade the duck in Garfield. Right. Appearance. There's no such thing? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, so this cartoon is trash, man.
0: <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, should we move on? Yeah, let's, okay.
1: let's uh, sign some new ones.
0: All right. Well, Next week. So we kind of teased that next week we were going to do good cartoons, which I guess we kind of need. Well, I couldn't say that. R- Rilakuma and Karu was good. But um, yeah. maybe Police I Academy. It. Maybe Police Academy was so bad that we like, like I I bungled this assignment so badly that now we need to really wash it out. I I didn't know these had to be specifically
1: good. (laughs) We'll see what you said. gave me first. Oh, I thought you said, I thought you said good. We'll do good cartoons next time. I did. I did. I have a good cartoon. Okay. But anyway,
0: let's see what you got. Well, first of all, I got a Donald Duck. Okay. Uh, It is called Donald's Crime. Oh. And okay. as teased last time, it's time that we review my favorite cartoon with the long name. And let me just bring it up here so I can <laughs> just, be st- sure. just uh, name it exactly. The name mm. of this cartoon is... The Dover Boys at Pimento University, or The Rivals of Rockfort Hall. Okay. Um, for you.
1: I have basically just thrust forward one cartoon I mentioned from last week. Of feline bondage. That's oh, a Tom and Jerry I wanted cartoon. to watch that. I wanted to watch that. Good. Well, now you must. Alright. <laughs> and then I've opted for a cartoon I didn't even know existed. <laughs> Ooh. It's The Blue Racer. And the episode is Hiss and Hers. Hmm. Okay. I have no idea what that is. I guess I'll find out. It'll be the one that brings us down from the three good cartoons.
0: <laughs> oh, oh, okay. <laughs> That's a promise. <laughs> all right. Well, great. Let's get out of here as fast as we can so we can all bleach Police Academy out of our brains. Um. And- but uh, remember to tell us all about Police Academy on various yes. social media platforms. For example, yeah. I'm AC Matsey on Twitter. You can uh, give us cartoons to watch. You can give us some topics to discuss. That's kind of what led to our What's Opera doc thing and uh, into my selection of cartoons for next week. Just uh, talk to us. And uh, yeah, AC Matzy on Twitter.
1: Yeah, same venue. I'm at Drabswatch Now for all you anti-vaxxers out there. Have you tried the horse paste? Have you wasted valuable lupus medication? Does colloidal silver leave you blue? Well, keep Bill Gates's microchip out of your bloodstream by trying the Celery Stalker's slogan. Cadets, if you ever see something suspicious happening in your neighborhood, tell your parents or another responsible adult.